podcast. Welcome back to the Landon Michael podcast. I am your host, Landon Michael, and today we have a special guest joining us. Um, this young man is named Alex Ray. He is a husband, a father, and an aspiring uh, entrepreneur. Um, and we're going to be asking him some questions that I think we'll all benefit from. Um, he's somebody that I look up to, and I think that you will uh, retain some very valuable nuggets uh, in this podcast. We're going to keep it short, going to keep it simple. Um, and so, yeah, Alex, want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks, buddy. I appreciate appreciate you inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So, Alex Ray here, um, 32, live here in central Arkansas with my wife, Lindsay, two-year-old daughter, Olivia, seven-week-old daughter, Annalise. Beautiful. So, I work for a corporation called Johnson Controls, where I lead our infrastructure business for Arkansas. I'm primarily tasked with selling large, you know, multi-million dollar infrastructure projects to the government here in Arkansas, school districts, state agencies, universities, that kind of thing. Nice. Yeah, I've been at Johnson, uh, be 10 years in May, only place I've worked since I graduated from college in 2011. Beautiful. Yeah, in my fourth role of increasing responsibility at JCI and love every minute of it. Beautiful. Um, I love it. You want to give a little bit more uh, detail, like give some more in-depth detail on kind of like what your job entails and kind of how you um, got into the field that you're in? Yeah, so I graduated from Washita. Like I said, I graduated from a, a small private liberal arts college in South Arkansas back in 2011, Washita Baptist University. Had a political science degree, a business degree, and I had a relationship with a friend of mine in our church. He was... Uh, essentially a mentor of mine, just general friend. We serve in some ministries together. Joe was probably to about 20 years older than me. He was, I was in, of course, in my early 20s. He was in his early 40s, late 30s, early 40s at the time. And we just had a relationship that we had, were very intentional maintaining, serving in some of those ministries. And at the time, Joe was the branch general manager in Little Rock for the Johnson Controls office. And through some some very deliberate relationship development, we just began talking, and um, we particularly did this thing. We would go to this this Waffle House, the one at the Wildwood exit, nice every Sunday night after church. Of course, I was in college at this time, so we'd go there every Sunday night after church and have coffee. Because if you can't drink coffee at the Waffle House, then what do you what do you do with your life? That's that's, <laughs> that's where true. people should go and it's, learn to drink coffee. It's a staple in the South. Yeah, you got to figure out how to treat people. And so we just had these conversations that were ongoing about, hey, you know, this is what John's Control's in. I had lots of questions about the firm. And then over time, the conversation kind of turned, hey, I want you to come work for me at John's Control's. And I was like, nah, you're, you're kidding. He said, no, I'm serious. And the reality is that uh, and of course, that's three roles ago from the role I'm in now. I don't do anything now at Johnson Controls like I did when I started. Yeah. That Joe could identify and see in me at the time some of those intrinsic basic skills that as a business leader and as a high performance team manager, you can't teach people. Mm-hmm. You're looking for those intrinsic personality skill sets, personality traits, core competencies and skills. And he saw those in me. And said, hey, I want you to come work for our firm and I'll teach you the specific things about our company, about our products, our offerings. I'll teach you the technical aspect. I'll teach you some technical acumen around selling. But you have the things I can't teach people, so come to work for us. Yeah. And so uh, three years into the Great Recession, I graduated 
into a job. As a matter of fact, I had a contract. I had a, I'd negotiated a, an employment contract with a signing bonus. Wow. By February of my senior year of college. Wow. So they saw value in what you produce and uh, what you bring to the table. And you've remained a steady rock in Johnson Controls. And uh, you're probably one of the key players in this area uh, in central Arkansas. Yeah, so I'm definitely, a lot of people, uh, most people don't know about Johnson Controls when they just hear the name of the company. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are familiar, at least people in the build, in the buildings business, in the essential building services business, are familiar with some of the brands. So York Air Conditioning, York Air Conditioning and Chillers and, and uh, Simplex, Grinnell Fire, Tyco, Integrated mm-hmm. Security. You'll walk into a lot of like Walmarts or, or stores, you'll see a Tyco security sticker on the window. We do a lot of retail. Sensormatic, the little thing you swipe your your product over at Walmart or the little Sensormatic stanchions when you enter or exit a building, those are all brands of Johns Controls. Nice. And so I I'm started out as just a, a lowly account rep, right. account representative in our heavy commercial and industrial service business, HVAC service business here in Little Rock. And um, advanced through that role and was essentially put in charge of that business here in Arkansas for the whole state. Mm-hmm. And then f- almost five years ago, exactly, I moved into this role where I was responsible for developing business in Arkansas. Now I'm the business leader and have some responsibilities nationally as well. So that didn't happen overnight. That just took a while to accumulate and you had to show your value over a period of time. Yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm 32. I'm a millennial and our generation, my generation by and large, gets a lot of flack because as a rule we don't stay very long at a firm right our turnover is very high our retention is very low mm-hmm. and so the fact that you know I'm really an outlier among my peer group I don't know that I have any friends that I graduated college with who are working at the same company sure. that they started at out of college right and a big part of that for me has been understanding that you know, Johnson Control is a great company. I mean, it's a it's a 135 year old, multi huge multinational global corporation. We've got 5,000 locations, 110,000 employees. We operate in 152 countries, all based out of the headquarters in Milwaukee. Yeah, and you know, we used to be an Ar- an American based corporation, but a handful of years ago, we we absorbed a company and inverted to Ireland. So technically, now we're an Irish owned company, mm-hmm. but. So now we're on the global Fortune 100. Before then, we were just on Fortune 100, but that's only for American-based companies. And at the time, we were like Fortune 70 or Fortune 65, wow. you know, in the top 100 largest corporations in America. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those companies that if you can do well, if you can exceed, it's a great place to work. Yeah, They take really good care of their people. But if, if you're not contributing and creating value in the organization... It's a it, they run you out. The pressure cooker's too high. Sure, uh, people can't tolerate it, can't stand it. Right. So yeah, obviously I've I've figured out what creates value in our organization, which is a big deal. Yeah. Because I tell the young guys that I mentor and the young guys on my team that at the end of the day, if when push comes to shove, anymore, you can't just be somebody that is a good employee. Mm-hmm. That has a high degree of proficiency in your functional role. You and I have talked about that before. It's, right. If you just come in and say, hey, I want to know what I have to do to be successful functionally in my role here in this company, in this organization, and that's all I want to know. I just want to know what I'm expected to do to, to be deemed proficient in my functional role in the organization, and then I'm going to go home. Hey, when push comes to shove anymore, you're going to be let go. Sure. You know, If I've got to go to the mat for a guy, 
if I've got to go to Matt for my team and say, hey, I've got 10 employees, but I can only take six into the next part of the organization, I'm, I'm going to be looking for the people that create value. Absolutely. And anymore, just being proficient in your functional role is not enough. You, you've got to figure out what it is in your organization that creates value so that you are doing more than just what you're tasked to do. Yeah, absolutely. No, definitely. Um, and I, I definitely think that's something like, am I, how, like how, you said you're how old? 32. 32. I'm 22. So yeah, big gap. Um, and obviously like my generation that I'm a part of, it's just totally different. Um, and you kind of see it, you know, everybody's, nobody's <clears throat> working in places very long, uh, these days. So that's, I think that's some solid advice. Um, what you was saying earlier. Well, yeah. It, well, and so, especially if you work in a public corporation, if you work in a, a large corporation, a, certainly a publicly traded company that used to, there were two types, there were two types of people. When you talk about ranking employees, there were regular, regular folks that, that weren't, well, they weren't doing a minimum proficient function, right? They were not proficient at their functional role in the organization, what they were hired to do. Those people are the first to go. They're right. cut loose. And used to, when our parents were growing up, you could be proficient in your functional role and you got good marks and you were a great employee. Hey, you know, you're getting fours and fives in your performance review. Thanks for being really good at your job at what we hired you to do. You know, you, here's your, your salary. You can go home after 40 hours a week. But the reality today is anymore in American corporate, in American business, employees are required to be high performers. So now there's this third class of employees, this third class of contributors and team members that are high performance value creators. Mm -hmm. And they are creating value for the organizational culture. In our corporate culture, the people that create value are those that go above and beyond, Love it. that are their team players. Mm. They are contributing to a culture within the organization of excellence, right there. You don't have to ask them to do more. You don't have to ask them to contribute. You don't have to ask them to partner. They've, they recognize that the rising tide raises all the boats mm -hmm. and lowers all the boats. Love it. So today, when push comes to shove, the first class of people that are underperforming, they're going to get cut loose every time. You know, when it's time for uh, an economic downturn, when there's a global pandemic, and companies have to slash expenses because they can't control for revenue. Those are the first people to go. But this middle class, uh, this middle category of employees that, let's say, they're the people that just say, hey, I need to know what I need to do here to, to get along, to get by. What's, what's the minimum expectation? That you can say, hey, you're proficient at your function. Great, thanks. Those are the people, Landon, that a lot of times they're, they're uh, not baby boomers, maybe the generation between baby boomers and millennials, generation Z. <clears throat> that those are the people that work for a company for 15, 18 years, and they consistently get threes and fours on their performance review, right, out of five. Right. And all of a sudden, there's a reduction in force or a downsizing because of a new, a new manager, a new CEO, a global pandemic, mm -hmm. a market shift. Right. Those are the people that get laid off at 48, 46, 50, and they say, you know, crap, I don't understand what happened. Why, why, why am I getting laid off? I've always been acceptable. Right. Because the reality today is anymore. If you're asking me as a manager who's responsible for implementing, maintaining, and managing a high-performance team, I'm looking for the folks that are creating value. Love it. And obviously, they're doing their functional role, but then they're, for what is important for their organizational culture, they're going above and beyond. They're creating value in the organization. 
And the people that live in that part, that segment of the workforce, they're the ones that, that I'm going to go to bat for, yeah. that I'm going to make sure if I've got a team of 10 and I have to cut it down to a team of five, those are the people I'm taking. Love it. Yeah. Got to have it. Dude, I'm fired up. You got If you're not creating value, what are you doing there? Exactly. You got to create value in everything that you do. So on that note, my next question is, what's your advice on getting out of a life rut? Whether that's personally, in business, um, kind of hit you with that, with that twisted question. Just like everybody, you know, you go through slumps in life. Sure. You know, with the change of the weather, you know, seasonal depression. Like all those are real sure. things. And everybody, everybody kind of experiments with that uh, throughout their life. And, you know, you can do meditation, you can pray, you know, just work out. Lots of different things. Right. Um, but, like, what have you found as a high performer? Um, you know, I'm sure it's pretty common for you to, to bust your tail for too much straight and then just get burnt out. Um, kind of get into a little bit of a rut. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. And, and like I said, I... <laughs> I've been at JCI uh, almost 10 years now, since May of 2011. I, I started, I graduated from college on a Friday, and I was at the office at 8.30 that following Monday morning. Love it. In retrospect, I probably should have taken some time off, but whatever. <laughs> but look where Here I am. Yes. Yeah, so I'm in my four. like I said, I'm in my fourth role of increasing responsibility. And like we were talking about earlier, right now in Arkansas, I'm managed. So Johnson Controls is a 34 32, 34, 36 billion dollar corporation. Billion with a B. Billion with a B, depending on, you know, whatever the year. And I'm currently responsible for managing what is essentially a hundred and fifty million dollar business. Hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. So I'm managing a pipeline and a PL and a team that is developing and driving what should be a hundred to hundred and fifty million dollars worth of business through the organization mm-hmm. in Arkansas. And that's not always been the case, right? Used to my responsibility when I was 23, 24, 25, 26 was a couple of million dollars. Mm-hmm. And that has essentially grown as our organization has grown, as the company has entrusted me and given me the um, sacrifice and benefits of growing our contribution to the organization. When I was in 2014, I would say 2015, so five, six years ago, so I would have been whatever, 25, 26, right? 27. I was 25 or 26. I kind of hit one of those ruts. Yeah. And I remember being in a place where I, I didn't draw a lot of satisfaction from what I did. Mm-hmm. I I thought, man, surely there's more to life than waking up every day, working 40 hours a week for 40 years of my life, and then having whatever, a decade of retirement and then dying. Yes. That cannot be what God put us on the planet to do. Absolutely not. So where... Where do I derive satisfaction or enjoyment or fulfillment from what I do? And, of course, it's men. Women don't understand this as much because women don't tie their profession to or their occupation so much to their identity. And that's a, that's a documented scientific fact that men identify their self-worth, their place, their position, their status in life based on what they do for a living, which is why... Correct me if I'm wrong. Most of the time when you walk up on a group of guys or meet a young group of guys, one of the very first questions is, that's asked, maybe after who are you, what's your name is, it's what do you do? Exactly. What do you do for a living? Every time. The reason is because we're trying to decide where we stand in the pecking order against each other so I can determine how much respect I need to bestow upon you. That's so weird. But it's true. It is true. Right? Okay, if you're a neurosurgeon, 
Hey, what do you do? I'm a neurosurgeon at UAMS. <laughs> what do you do? I, you know, I manage the Jiffy Lube. Right? <laughs> I mean, nobody, ideally, in a polite, gracious society, nobody's going to say anything like, okay, well, you're a schmuck. Right. But the reality is that now I know and you know where we fit the pecking order. Sure. You know, you're running Performance Softwash, uh, a corporation that's growing and has destiny to be something big. And here I am managing a $150 million business. Mm-hmm. It's important for you, for me to know that you know that. Exactly. You know, that I'm, I'm big noise. Right. So men draw such fulfillment, yeah, right, such fulfillment and, uh, is fulfillment the right word? Yeah, they do. Identity and what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, when you're bored, when what you do for a living is, is no longer entertaining or you don't enjoy, you don't, you don't derive joy from it, then it's really easy to find yourself in that, you know, week 25, week 26 of the year been grinding holidays. We're a long way between holidays. I, I, this is wearing on me, right? I'm wearing it like a backpack. It's a weighted sled. It's not doing anything for me. And I kind of went through that when I was whatever that age. You know, as a matter of fact, let me just talk about how great it is. I just come back from this fly fishing trip to Patagonia. Mm. No joke. You know, you know, I'm a big fly fisherman, and my wife's going to listen to this, so she's going to love this. Before I got married, before I had kids, I had a lot more disposable income, <laughs> right? So I would take these big fly fishing trips. And one of those in January of 2014, it was like a 13-day trip. Me and a couple of buddies went on to Chile, mm-hmm. to South Chile, <laughs> to, to the Patagonia region of South America. And we were stinking fly fishing in glacial runoff above the frost line in the Andes Mountains. Right. Okay, we were in the Chilean Alps fly fishing in a part of the world where there was only one home every six square miles. Wow. One home for every six square miles. There's no humanity. Yeah. Right, we're up there in God's country. And then I come back from that after like two weeks being in South America and come right back to working for John's Controls in Little Rock, Arkansas. Very nice. Yeah. And until then, I'd never really been kind of hung around the neck with that of, is this what I need to do for a living? And is this what I drive enjoyment from? And the reality is, the long answer to your question what I came to realize, and I, and I talked to my pastor, right? My pastor and I talked about it. We went to a restaurant, and I can remember it vividly. Jason Curry, who is one of the most incredible motivational life coaches, one of our pastors at the church at Rock Creek, where my wife and I go to church. Uh, Jason has a ministry, and well, this actually a business called Finish Empty, mm-hmm. which is trademarked. There's several D1, D2 NCAA schools. There's some MLB and, and NBA teams that have adopted the Finish Empty program as a part of their professional development nice. for their staff, faculty, and athletes. Jason goes all over the country teaching and speaking to any number of people. So we sit at a table in a restaurant in Little Rock. I won't name the restaurant, but he even said, you know, God loved me. He was trying his best at the time, and I hope he listens to this. He said, uh, hey, you know what, Alex, we talked about it for a while. And he said, you just need to figure out what it is in life that, that gives you joy and go do that. And I remember I slapped the table and kind of, I didn't yell, but I kind of exclaimed in yeah. a, a very loud, animated voice, you know, dang it, Jason, don't you know that if I knew what that was, I'd be doing that? Right. Like, if I knew what what, what gave me joy, I'd be doing that? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't just be sitting here asking. And, and it kind of stunned him. And, and But that was the reality. And, man, I, I got to the point where I realized that for me as a Christian who takes a lot of my self-worth and my purpose and identity in life as what Christ sent us here to do, what God called me to do as a man, as a husband, as a father, that my responsibility is to be somebody that pursues excellence in everything I do. Beautiful. 
And as a Christian, certainly we're called to do that in Scripture, to do everything that we do to the best of our ability as if working for Christ and not for man. You know, no matter what it is, if it's eating or sleeping or, or working or toiling, that we do it to the very best of our ability. That's who we as Christians are called to be in our identity. You know, we should be employees and servants and volunteers and husbands and fathers and brothers and sisters that and friends that are always trying to understand where the bar is. What is the expectation of me in this situation, no matter what it is? If, it's, if you're an employee, if you're a volunteer, if you're a, on an athletic team, whatever. Whatever it is in life. Whatever, um, tell me what it is that's expected of me. What's the bar? Right. Because I, as someone who wants to be a pace setter, as a bar setter, I want to identify what that minimum standard of excellence is mm-hmm. or minimum standard of requirement so that I can set the bar higher. Mm-hmm. I want to know where it is not like most mediocre folks that say, I want to know what is expected of me so that I can at least match it yeah, right. or maybe just a tick above it. Mm-hmm. I want to understand what that is so that I can say, this is the bar, great. I'm going to set it a notch higher. I love that. Because that's who <clears throat> I'm called to be. And a lot of people that that see high performers and they identify them because of their material success or earthly success or whatever it is, worldly possessions, say, you know, they they have got all of this stuff because, you know, they work hard or, or, you know, a lot of people conflate the idea that people that make a lot of money, spend a lot of money and, and have nice things because those go together. But in reality, what I have found in my career and, and the reality is that I deal with one percenters as a matter of routine, right? The one percenters in society, income earners in Arkansas, in the U.S., that when you start talking to those people that are are living with generational wealth, that have the luxury and freedom of uh, the ability to do whatever they want in life, they don't talk about money. Right. They don't talk about wealth or income or status. Now you see a lot of a lot of that crap on social media. Mm-hmm. On Instagram, certainly on Facebook, on YouTube. Well, that's because they're trying to monetize that product. Exactly. So they're talking about it as if it's something that you should do this course, buy my program. You know, a lot of and hey, I, I subscribe to a lot of that because a lot of those guys are teaching good fundamentals. Exactly. And some of that they want you to buy, which is great, man. You know, they have figured out how to monetize this program mm-hmm. that they have utilized to be successful. But the long story short is that those people, they don't talk about the desire to, to get more money. They talk about the desire to be successful and to pursue excellence. Yeah. If it's Grant Cardone developing real, commercial real estate, if it's Gary V, you know, um, Dr. Charles Monroe, uh, the, those guys, they don't. They don't talk about, hey, I want to go get mine. They talk about, I'm going to be the best. I am going to set the bar. And the reality is, I'm telling you, from my personal experience and from the people I interact with, when your focus is, hey, I'm going to be the very best I can because that's who I should be. That's what's expected of me. Mm -hmm. That's what I should expect and demand of myself. That I am going to be that value-creating, world-class contributor, employer, business owner, whatever it is. When, when I'm going to set the pace and be the guy vibrating at the highest frequency all the time, all of that stuff, money, possessions, uh, importance, people's opinion of you, all that stuff comes with it. 
And so I, I know that the you know gosh, just like a ten minute answer to a question you asked relative to it's needed. Well, so it's such a complex. Answer. How do you get out of a rut? Okay, well you know crap. You need right. to be exercising. You need to rest. <laughs> you need to, you know, if you want to talk about functionally as a high performer, how, what do I do? And now listen, as a part of that experience in twenty fourteen, I realized that that I did. Yeah, man, I got to success in the early days by just being the hardest working mofo on the team. Right. I was not going to be outworked, and I was going to set the bar. And I, I was going to pursue excellence. And I keep notice I keep saying pursue excellence mm-hmm. because excellence is not a destination. It is a lifelong journey. Because every time you level up, you realize that there is another level mm. of how you can be an individual <laughs> contributor. So in those, those beginning days, yeah, man, I did. I, I would I would just hump it for three months at a time. And truthfully, like just through true true grit, I mean sheer bare my teeth, white knuckle grit, I would manage and ride this beast to the ground and and deliver month over month, quarter over quarter to our organization. But here's, as I got older, as I went from 23 to 26 to 27, I, I re, about every three months, I was good for about, I was good for about three months, about a quarter, uh, you know, I don't know, 12 weeks or so, 12, about 11 or 12 weeks, I would start to get what I used to describe as mentally, physically, and emotionally tattered, mm-hmm. frayed. I was exhausted. Yes. Well, okay. Yeah. Because I was doing that, that grind, right? Well, that in the beginning, that's what I had to do to figure out what I had to do to be successful. And as as I continued to lap the earth and and grow and experience, that I figured out, okay, I, these inputs of hard work, of phone calls, of cold calling customers, of following up on appointments, visiting with customers, whatever it was, these inputs, I started to figure out what those inputs needed to be, what I needed to do to be successful. So then I could dial back on some of that effort, but also because I realized through my experience, man, that wasn't sustainable. Because as I got older, and then I got married, and then we had our first kid, that the difference in 27 and 22 is I noticed that interval started to get shorter. Right. I couldn't go 12 weeks. I go like eight or nine weeks. <laughs> because I was getting I was getting older. I was getting more, you know, crap, crap I was getting older. Right. I couldn't, I had, I had family responsibilities, sure. and just the the day Life. in, day out. And so I thought, hey, man, this is not, I can't, this is not sustainable. I can't keep doing this. So truthfully, brother, as recently as, man, like 26, maybe 2018, just a couple of years ago. I mean, you know, whatever, more than halfway through my decade in work here, I finally figured out in terms of how to get out of this rut, you know, there's two things. You got to get in the right mindset, which is what I've just been talking about for the last, like, 105 minutes. Right. (laughs) But functionally, people say, okay, what can I do? Because everybody wants, like, give me a list. Give me me crap I can go check off on the list. Okay, well, first of all, you got to get your mind in the right place. You got to realize that, if you're just working for a paycheck or you're just working to have money for your Xbox or have money to, to travel when right. we were traveling, yep. like it, that's fun. But as the novelty of that wears off, you're going to be in a tight spot. So you get your mind in the right place, you get your head in the right place. And then f- for me, functionally, I was talking about my, my grind, my the flywheel turning. I got into a place where I had to figure out if I wanted to vibrate at this frequency all the time, I couldn't, I couldn't work eight weeks and have to take off two weeks, which is what, you know, I was working about whatever, 12 weeks and then I'd take off a week or whatever. So I got to this point where I started figuring out how, how much rest I needed, how much sleep I needed, which those are different things, rest and sleep, the right amount of rest, the right amount of sleep, the right amount of business coaching from my business coach, Mm -hmm. who's not, you know, somebody, a, a consultant really that I pay to help coach me. Uh, a psychologist, you know, a counselor that I see to help keep my, my mental game sharp. 
yeah. uh, my spiritual coach, uh, how much physical exercise and nutrition, the right inputs of the right diet, sleep, rest, exercise, having a spirit, the right amounts of spiritual input, phys- psychological input, emotional input, doing those things and understanding what the percentage, the mix of those things are that allowed me to kind of operate at that level sustainably for the long run. And that's where I am today. Beautiful. Yeah. Awesome. I I think this podcast, um, it's obviously a longer podcast than normal. I think you've just spewed straight nuggets (laughs) of wisdom that I think even I've retained. I've heard this before. I've, I've retained more information. Um, it just has stuck with me. Um, I've been able to retain it a lot better. Um, just sitting here listening to you talk about kind of like your life and, uh, just everything that's going on. But, uh, we're going to end this podcast, uh, with one final question. Um, so Alex, what are a couple books that you would highly recommend to read? Um, and maybe, uh, a few quotes that kind of stand out and have changed your life in uh, different aspects. Yeah. So... You know, you and I have talked about this. I'm a big fan of the Stoics, um, the, the philoso- West, early Western philosophical thinking around Stoicism. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, Socrates, uh, the, that that class of, of Western philosophical thinkers. And Ryan Holiday has a fantastic book uh, on Stoicism called The Obstacle is the Way. And it's based off of a maxim by Marcus Aurelius when when he was writing some of his, his thoughts and, and Stoic opinions when he was on some, I don't know, Roman campaign out somewhere in Europe. I should know the answer to that. Uh-huh. Anyways, that, that book is, a, that's a big deal. Uh, you can get it on Audible. You can buy it on ABE Books or Amazon. Ryan Holiday, The Obstacle is the Way. And it really pitches this concept that when you face and experience obstacles in life, the easy thing to do is to go around them, to turn around and go back, to try to figure out how to go under them, around them, over them. But in reality, usually the best and most expeditious way is through. Because you fly in the teeth of it and you realize that the obstacle to, to my impediment, the obstacle that is my impediment to my happiness, to my success, is the way through. And that's, that's, that's a fantastic book that I would encourage anybody and everybody to read. The Obstacle is the Way. And then certainly, um, there's a book called The Oz Principle. And I've, I've just gone blank on who writes it. I normally have it sitting on a bookshelf where I can see it. Anyways, The Oz Principle really talks about the idea of below the line, above the line. Mm-hmm. And really kind of frames up some of the things I've talked about. And that's where I get a lot of that in, from my own life is um, operating above the line and below the line of excellence, of integrity, of, of whatever, companionship, sportsmanship. So that would be a book I would encourage every young person as they're starting out in their career to read. It's The Obstacle is the Way and The Oz Principle. OZ, like The Wizard of Oz, The Oz Principle. You asked about a quote. There's, there's two quotes that I hold near and dear to my heart. It kind of like life. There's a bunch of them. I love quotes. Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau. Um, but there's, there's two that stand out to me. One is a quote by Thomas Jefferson. And my, any of my college roommates or dorm buddies that listen to this, they'll remember this because I had this printed on a piece of paper hanging on the back of my dorm room my freshman year when I would leave. And it's, a, like I said, a Thomas Jefferson quote that is, in matters of style, swim with the current. 
but in matters of principle, stand like a rock. I'm going to say that again. Thomas Jefferson, in matters of style, swim with the current, but in matters of principle, stand like a rock. And anytime I would read that, I envision this huge boulder in a mighty rushing river with the water just crashing around it, white capping and, and bubbling, but that rock stands resolute. In this day and age, especially as, as a young person that may not have as deeper roots grounded in faith or principle, you cannot, you simply cannot survive and be all that you should be, be that person of pursuing excellence if every time the wind changes, every time public opinion changes, you are waffling. Right. You know, in, if it's style, great, do that. But in principle, you must choose as a young woman and a young man who you are, your worth, your work ethic, your morality, your integrity. That's what that whole excellence things come, that excellence thing comes in, that you, you got to be principled and you are unwavering like a rock in those principles. And then the last one is a quote uh, that I've, is really kind of near and dear to me recently. That's, that's one I've just been really reading about a lot lately. Is, it's a Henry David Thoreau quote. It's, and I've I got to kind of paraphrase it because I don't have it completely internalized yet. But it's essentially, Thoreau said, every day we are invited to become the person who we really are or the person we're meant to be. Daily, we are invited to be the person we're meant to be. There's, that is that is probably the deepest thing I've said tonight that you just, people read that at first glance, like, okay, whatever, that's cute. But it's that daily we are invited by life to be the person that we're meant to be. But so many times, so many people elect, maybe because they're unprincipled or because they allow the whirling wind of culture and circumstance to distract them from who they are, from, from principle, from excellence, and it, it, they don't be the person they're meant to be. So if I could leave anybody with anything, it's your life can be what it's meant to be if you elect to do so. We are our biggest impediment. We are often our largest obstacle for all the things I've talked about, for electing, deciding not to be all the things I've talked about or engage in all the things I've talked about. So the reality is we don't live that life that we are called to be, that we're meant to be. And so to, to challenge people to rise up and embrace that as their calling, yeah. as their mantra, is some of the best advice that I could give anybody. And advice that in reality I wish I could go back and write on my heart right. when I was 23, starting out in life. So that's that's awesome. I mean, you wish you was able to hear that at twenty three. Oh gosh, um, yeah. And so the people, like the people that are listening, you know, they're from the U.S., Africa, Germany. If you've never heard that, uh, it's actually the first time for me. Um, I want to do some independent research on that. Uh, yeah. That's that's a very interesting quote, and uh, it's very interesting to, to me. Um, yeah, but man. yeah, um, I think that's some quality advice. I think this podcast turned out amazing. Well, I do too. I appreciate that. I, I appreciate you letting me be here tonight and. I would be happy to come back and anytime yeah. you'd have me, assuming this podcast doesn't tank when you post it. But <laughs> right. no, I appreciate you letting me be here, buddy. Absolutely. Um, I think that's it for tonight, guys. If you have any questions, uh, send me a DM at I am Lana Michael on Instagram. Um, and give me a thumbs up if uh, you like this podcast. Thank you so much. Peace.